Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Making your cat happy is a number one priority. Priority number two is keeping a clean litter box. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter helps you do both. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter traps waste at the surface with less crumbles and absorbs more waste and odor compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Litter at a store near you today. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. It's the off-season edition. I'm Joe Galina, and as always, I'm joined by a guy who both loves and knows a heck of a lot about baseball. It's Scott Chu. Acknowledge him. How's it going there, Scott? It's going pretty well. Going pretty well. It's uh, it's prime time for me. I got some off-season time to sort of dig in and start looking at player stuff and curlings on. So uh, the U S Olympic trials are coming up. So, so that's pretty fun. And I'm watching that certainly not competing. I'm, I'm a terrible curler, but uh, I do enjoy it. So it's, you know, it's prime Scott shoe time right now. Make it your own there, Scott. And uh, it's, it's already starting to be a, a fun off season. I'm happy uh, that the uh, hot stove show on MLB network, you know, I record it every day, try to skim through it at least uh, in the evening. It's always a source of great information. And today we had uh, Scott Boris, super agent, zinging him for the media today. Did you, did you see some of the stuff that he was saying? I did not, but I'm sure it was uh, sure it was scandalous. I'm sure it was him trying to uh, get as many dollars as he can for his players. Yeah, I wouldn't call it scandalous. It's almost like he has his own writing team. Some of the things that he was saying regarding Nick Castellanos uh, uh, and the uh, free agent market uh, regarding him. Uh, I advised all of you two years ago that old St. Nick was going to bring a lot of presents to Cincinnati. Frankly, we're just going to sit back and see what teams have been naughty and nice. That, that's brilliant. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. Max Scherzer, right? On Max Scherzer. I think teams that are pursuing a championship are not pursuing the minimum. They're taking it to the max. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. Chris Bryant. He called Chris Bryant the Sean Connery of MLB because of his Bond-like abilities and that he's always red hot in the hunt for October. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? It's just artistry is what yeah. that is. That's yeah, how you get yeah. the big bucks in MLB right there. Look, this guy, he must have like a, a writing ensemble writing this stuff for him. Hey, whatever it takes to add zeros to those contracts. Yeah, you he's, know? Pretty, he's pretty good at doing that. Yeah, yeah. So we've already got a, a, a trade and a free agent signing to talk about. 
Uh, just to give people a reference, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday evening, November 10th. Uh, and like I said, there's some news to report, and your Tigers were involved in the first trade of the offseason. They traded for catcher Tucker Barnhart, gave up third baseman Nick Quintana. Uh, the trade was with the, the Reds. So last season, uh, Eric Haas, 22 home runs, 61 RBI, 231 batting average, uh, free swing, a 31% K rate, had him playing some catcher. Had him also playing in the outfield, but uh, I think that Barnhart—he's he's a real good pitch framer, and that might help with some of uh, Tiger's young uh, starting pitchers. Yeah, maybe Barnhart's biggest thing is certainly not the offense. He's uh, he's a very limited bat offensively, but he's an incredibly good defensive catcher. He's he's got himself a Gold Glove. I think that was really the main move. The Tigers had been hoping that some combination of like. Grayson Grainer or Jake Rogers or something would would really emerge to be a useful major league catcher and it just hasn't worked out that way so they decided I think to just bite the bullet this trade they ship out Nick Quintana who is a mildly interesting prospect he uh you know he's got an okay hit tool a little bit of power there's really not a ton to see here he did not hit well in single a last year which is rough because he's 24 and he really should be above that level so this was really a move to get Barnhart without having to compete with anybody else in free agency. So all this really was, they wanted him. They, they were going to try to sign him. And instead of competing, they were like, well, we'll give you this 24 year old playing single a and, and see what happens. So I think it's a pretty good move for the tigers, but it's not really fantasy relevant outside of like AL only, or maybe three catcher leagues, even in a two catcher league, he's really not, he's not something you go with unless you're trying to stream or something like that. Got your point. But uh, at least it's a trade. At least we have something to talk about. How about Andrew Haney uh, picking up an $8.5 million deal from the Dodgers? And uh, he passed his physical, so the deal's official. And, and, you know, having watched him uh, pitch for the Yankees last season, giving up a ton of home runs, I'm surprised that they didn't uh, find some kind of a neck strain. I mean, you do have to turn your neck after you uh, give up a home run watching a a ball hit into the uh, outfield there in the stands, no? Oh yeah. I mean, just, it seemed like every, every time he came in, it just ended up being a disaster. And he he's this weird case because if you try to use expected ERA, you get this idea that he was a really unlucky guy, right? Because his expected ERA was 4.01, even though his real ERA was 5.83. Mm-hmm. And the thing I, the reason I bring that up is because expected ERA I mean, the stats they use for that, all that batted ball data wasn't designed to measure pitchers, right? Like it was actually designed for hitters and they like, they were able to create an XERA out of it, but I I wouldn't be expecting that kind of uh, return to the mean, right? Like, so Andrew Heaney's been a really up and down pitcher over the last three seasons. What we see is like a high fours ERA guy. Yes. He gets some strikeouts. He can throw innings. Um, he He's done it before. I mean, he had a 180-inning season back in 2018. He did throw 129.2 innings last year. There's not a lot to be excited about here. And like you mentioned, with the Yankees, gosh, he was rough. It just seemed like there was no lead too big to feel comfortable with Andrew Heaney in. So uh, in- interesting signing. Uh, and I'm, you know, the, the Dodgers know what they're doing. I'm just... I don't know what they're doing. That's all it right, is. Right. And like you mentioned, good expected stats. I even looked at his 
ERA estimators, they would, you know, better than his ERA, but uh, you brought up a, a good point. I watched them a lot last season, was not impressed, but it just seems that everyone wants to try to find that next Robbie Ray, right? Uh, Robbie Ray uh, the, signed uh, for $8 million with the Blue Jays, and now he's in contention uh, to win the AL Cy Young. So uh, and you also mentioned something about his ability to get a lot of strikeouts, so I think that's that's what's appealing. But like you, Eh, I'm not. I'm not interested in him. <laughs> but uh, going back to catchers, Buster Posey uh, coming uh, off of a nice comeback season, 304 batting average, 18 home runs, 56 RBI in 113 games, decides to call it quits. I mean, uh, a little bit surprising, I guess, right? But I think it was more of a, a little bit of a of a, a personal kind of thing. You know, he had not played during the uh, 2020 season, opted out. When COVID was at its its height, he wants to be with his family a little bit more. Uh, were you surprised? And 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 Scott, in your eyes, is he a Hall of Famer? So, you know, I was surprised until I kind of looked back at it. He's he's struggled with injuries to his hip and to other parts of his body. He and he sort of is is doing this thing that we all kind of think people would do more often, which is go out on top. He had his best season since 2017. Uh, last year, 18 home runs, you know, uh, 304 batting average, great plate discipline, was a 4.9 war player, something he hadn't really been since, you know, again, 2017, 2016. And and he's th- he'd be close to 35 years old at the start of next season. Being a 35-year-old catcher in Major League Baseball is not easy, right? And even with the DH coming, I don't think that was something that he wanted to do. I think he wants to go out as a catcher, and he's a heck of a good one. I I haven't done enough of the research on, on hall of fame. I think the best arguments for him into the hall are just the fact that he was the core of this San Francisco really dynasty that has been extremely relevant in the championship hunt for the better part of a decade. So I I think that's the biggest pull for me. And then, you know, the rest of the hall debate is all about big hall versus small hall versus, you know, impact and how you measure that. And with catchers, there's all these defensive stats that are hard to capture. Um, as far as, you know, fantasy hall of fame, absolutely. Right. Like as far as catchers go, he's definitely in our fantasy hall of fame, right? Because he was, he's been such a consistent force at catcher, particularly with the batting average. I mean, really from 2012 through 2021, he had like two seasons that weren't good, right? 2019 and, you know, he didn't play in 20, you know, he didn't play in 2020, right? right That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every, everything else is, is very useful. Well, in 2018, he missed a lot of time, but yeah, like there's like two, three seasons. He's not good in, in a decade. I mean, right. just it, fantastic. So uh, I really, the news here is, it, you know, I think the thing that people are going to ask about and you asked about in the show notes is about Joey Bart, right? right? He, he's, He's their number one catching prospect. And, you know, coming into coming into 2021, I think there was a lot more hype on him than there is now because 2020 and 2021, we just saw his plate discipline erode, right? Over 30% strikeout rate. And that's just not going to hack it, right? In in 117 major league plate appearances, which isn't that many, he's only got seven extra base hits. None of them are home runs. His last 58 plate appearances in the minors, last season, a 43 weighted runs created plus. That means he was 57% worse than an average player in AAA, right? Mm -hmm. 
even from July 1st on his weighted runs created plus was only 81. So nearly 20% worse than the average AAA player uh, to really for the entire second half in the minors. That's, that's really, really rough. And while I do really like the, the pedigree, uh, there's a lot of tools there. He's really got to put it together. He's got to find a way to cut those strikeouts down. And so at this point, I mean, even in a two catcher league, it's really hard to get excited about Joey Bart as your second catcher because it's it's a big gamble, right? And the replacement level is so low. I think it's going to be scary. He's not on the one catching radar at all, but right. in right. dynasty, I, I do think he's a guy you have to keep watching. There are too many tools there. You know, he he's not, you know, he's not the premier catching prospect. That's Adley Rutschman over in Baltimore, but there there's enough here to still have hope but there's not nearly as much excitement as we had a year or two years ago. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, he does find his way because I do roster him in an auto new league. So uh, keeping my fingers crossed, but uh, yeah, who knows eventually, you know, he, like you said, good pedigree. Uh, the catcher position in fantasy is very weak as uh, we spoke about in our last podcast. So hoping that he could correct his, uh, miscues and uh, become a better contact hitter. And we got another name to monitor this offseason, Seiya Suzuki. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that first name right. It's S-E-I-Y-A. 27-year-old power-hitting Japanese outfielder is going to be made available to big league clubs. Batted 319, 38 home runs, 88 RBI in 133 games last season. Uh, Spent most of last season with the Hiroshima Carp. Lifetime stats in nine seasons. Has a 309-402-542 slash line. Uh, he also could steal a base, stole 25 in 2019. Good contact hitter, 629 strikeouts in 1,054 career games. Supposedly, Mariners and Rangers could be interested. There's a lot of rumors floating around these days, right? A uh, little surprised about the Mariners' interest, though, with Julio Rodriguez on the horizon, really good outfield prospect. But uh, maybe uh, maybe the Mariners looking to get some of that old Ichiro Suzuki magic back. Yeah, it seems like every time there's a Japanese import, the Mariners are linked to him. Um, you know, Ichiro still carries a lot of weight everywhere. He's beloved here. He's still beloved in Japan. Uh, a lot of players would love to come over and, and follow Ichiro to the Mariners. But regardless, the biggest thing here, you know, obviously, great, uh, great power hitter, amazing plate discipline over in uh, over in Japan. Definitely plus power. You know, don't you know? Take this for what it's worth. His his hitting numbers are better than Otani's. Now, keep in mind he, he's five years older than yep. Otani was uh, when Otani was in you know was in the Japanese league. So there, I wouldn't you know we're not. No one projects for an Otani like season, but he's definitely going to be better than the other imports from Japan that we've seen, like Yoshi Satsugo and uh, Akiyama over in Cincinnati. Those guys have really not panned out well. This is definitely a big step up from there. He's going to be a huge target in first year player drafts coming up in dynasty leagues. Like I wouldn't be shocked if someone who traded for that first overall pick and is in a compete now mode takes a good hard look at say a Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he could definitely be like a high risk, high reward outfield because you never quite know how it's going to translate. There's more than just the translation from the Japanese leagues to, uh, to American ball. There's the whole culture shift. There's the whole, not, you know, no one speaks your language. Um, 
you you're in a brand new, you've moved across the ocean. There, there's some real things there that can make it hard for international imports to come over, particularly ones from the East, simply because it's not like there's this huge population of Asian born players in the major leagues, like it would be for, you know, Spanish speaking players. There's a much right, bigger right. pool there. So more people speak your language. And that's a big deal. If you've ever played on any kind of sports team or joined any kind of club and no one else speaks your language, it can be very isolating. It can be very difficult to be the player you want to be. All that said, I really like Seiya Suzuki, depending on where he lands, you know, if he gets somewhere where, and I think he will, where he gets a guaranteed starting role, probably in right field. He, like he can, he can probably play a little center if he had to, but he's really more of like a right fielder, corner outfielder. I really think he could be a guy that's drafted as high as like maybe the top 40 to top 50 outfielders, right? Ooh. Somewhere around a guy like uh, where we're seeing projections for like Eddie Rosario, Avi Garcia, Lords Guriel. Like he could really be in that range when you start factoring in the risk and he could still provide a really nice return on that. If he's able to translate that plate discipline over right now, the breaking balls and the, and the, you know, obviously in Japanese leagues, there's not as many guys that can throw 95 plus like we have in the U S there is a lot of good breaking stuff over there though. So it's not like he make, he needs to make that kind of adjustment, like just to get on the, the breaking balls. Of course, there's not a Jacob deGrom over there that can throw a 95 mile an hour slider. But other than that, he, I, I do think there's a good chance for him to come over. And if not next year, then the year after be a really big impact fantasy bat in the corner outfield. Hmm, great analysis. I, I guess with your thinking that maybe he could go somewhere around where Guriel would go or whatnot, that he might not be so much of a, a, a sleeper, right? I guess, especially if he has a good spring too. Yeah, no, I mean, he, no such thing as a sleeper anymore in this environment, right? Yeah, like we, we all have, I mean, we've got the internet. These wonderful interwebs, that series of tubes that just sends information across the world. Uh, everyone will be aware of Seiya Suzuki by by the spring. I mean, that's just going to be a thing. He's going to probably be a projected starter for a club. It doesn't really matter which one. Obviously, there's always places it's better to go for power hitters. Uh, you know, you don't want to end up in like Oakland. Uh, you'd rather end up in a place like a, a Cincinnati or, you know, you know, he's not going to go to Colorado and I kind of hope he doesn't because they would just screw with him for no reason. Cause that's just what the Rockies do, but hopefully he can end up in a pretty decent environment and hopefully he can get playing time, full-time major league at bats. And you're going to, you know, it's going to, he's not going to be like a, a bargain, so to speak, depending on the risk, but it's going to be something you have to just invest in because guys with this kind of plate discipline and power potential just don't grow on trees, right? There's just right. not that many players with that kind of skill set. So I think it's going to be hard to uh, curb the enthusiasm of folks who get a look at this guy. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you mentioned Otani, fantasy managers probably looking to get some of that magic, you know, that might miss out on Otani that might not want to uh, invest that high uh, draft pick that's going to be required because Otani is going to be a first round pick. No. Yeah. And, and something to remember, weirdly enough, if you think back to when Otani came to the States, he actually wasn't supposed to be that good of a hitter. We thought he'd just pitch. Pitching was supposed to be the tool, right? Like as a hitter, we're like, yeah, yeah, he might strike out too much. It's not good. It probably won't work out. God, are we stupid, right? <laughs> like he's one of the best hitters in baseball. So, uh, you know, it, Again, that's not to say that I think Seiya Suzuki is going to hit like Shohei Otani. I don't think anybody, can, I, like, I, I don't project anybody to hit as good as Shohei Otani did this last season. But 
I do think he can be a, a an impact fantasy bat, and I think we'll be talking about him a lot in mm-hmm. the future. Great. Okay. Um, this news kind of surprised me. Uh, Bob Melvin, a longtime A's manager, uh, was allowed to s- work out a deal with the Padres, and now he's managing uh, a playoff contender, right? Uh, A's planning to slash payroll. Some say to a major league low $50 million for the 2022 season. Uh, I mean, A's have been a playoff contender themselves for the past four years. Melvin's done a great job there. So that's pretty much an awesome move for Melvin. But now it's looking like the A's might be sellers, right? I mean, uh, they were talking about maybe Matt Chapman being on the block, Matt Olson being on the block. And these guys aren't even making that much money. They're just worried about what they might get uh, in arbitration, right? And uh, all of a sudden, it's a fire sale. Yeah, which is really bizarre because, like, if you look at their roster, it's already pretty darn cheap, yeah, right? Like, yeah. you're start when your starting second baseman is Tony Kemp, you're not running a very high payroll, right? That's, that's just not how this works. Uh, right. This is this is like a really like it's funny because when they say like, yeah, I, I think Matt Olson or Matt Chapman might be on the block, that's the whole lineup. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's not like the lineup is Tony Kemp, Elvis Andrews, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Seth Brown, Stephen Piscotty, Chad Pinder, Sean Murphy, Luis Beria. Like that's terrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is not that that is not a competitive major league roster, uh, especially because 10 games over 500 this year, weren't they? Yeah. Well, and they already <laughs> Starling Marte became a free agent. Yeah, Mark Canha yeah. became a free agent. Like like th- this is going to be a rough team. But, you know, as far as, you know, fantasy fallout managers it's really hard to predict like what kind of fantasy fallout happens with managerial changes but i will say for a guy like matt olson specifically this could be a really really um interesting move if he does get traded because the 40 home run mark for him is going to be a lot easier to hit if he's not stuck in that cavernous oakland coliseum right coliseum is really really tough to hit home runs in um, it's generally one of the bottom five in terms of home run factor. It's got this giant foul territory, uh, much, much bigger than the vast majority of fields in major league baseball, which makes it hard to keep high batting averages in the Coliseum because you foul out so often. It's just hard for the ball to get to the seats, no matter what direction you hit it. Right. So I do think he'd get a batting average boost outside of the Coliseum, surprisingly enough. Uh, just simply because he's uh, you know, he does pull the ball a lot and that means he does hit a lot of foul balls and there's going to be more, uh, there's going to be a better chance for it to hit seats if he's anywhere but Oakland. The thing is though, like he's already the fourth first baseman on my board and I just don't see him moving any higher than that because to get above that, you've got to get past like Freddie Freeman or Pete Alonzo, mm-hmm. which are like, you know, extremely high end. And I just don't see like, there's no location change that can put him above that you can make it a little more interesting but i don't think you can get him like over that hump because like he's not a 50 home run guy like alonzo could be right Mm -hmm. and and he's not freddie freeman where he could hit you know 280 to 300 so you know i would love to see him go somewhere like houston which has yankee stadium (laughs) yankee stadium (laughs) think about he's a lefty yeah yeah so so that would be that would be big um you know, seeing him go somewhere like Houston or Milwaukee, or if Freddie Freeman leaves Atlanta, going to Atlanta would even be nice, which is more of a neutral park because, again, he's in a really tough hitting environment in Oakland, and yeah. that's I. That's one of the things that really he's gotten so close to that forty home run mark, and I, you know, it's fun to have that nice round number, and that's really hard to do in Oakland. 
Yankees are in the market for a first baseman, and uh, Matt Olson would fit the bill. And you mentioned Freddie Freeman. You think there's a chance? I guess there's always a chance when you're a free agent that uh, he might leave the Braves. Because, you know, I mean, he's another lefty I'd love for the Yankees to get, but obviously very expensive. But you think there's a chance he goes? I mean, there's always a chance, but I don't think any, like, I don't think he wants to leave. I don't think Atlanta wants him to leave. I think something bad would have to happen. Like, I I don't know what it would be, but something could, I guess. Right. But the nice thing about Freddie Freeman is the way his skill set is the, you know, he's got, he's got plenty of power. He's got great contact ability. He can hit the ball to all fields. He can keep a high batting average. His fantasy value doesn't change really anywhere he goes, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, increment like you know tiny minuscule changes no matter where he goes because he's not like he's not like a matt olsen who's like a hard pull hitter that can really benefit from a short fence somewhere like Mm -hmm. yankee stadium uh freddie freeman can you know hit the ball out of any park he he really wants to and and he can hit 280 to 300 anywhere he wants so you know i think that he stays with atlanta but it'd be fun to to see him play the open market and see what happens no, and also I'm going to say that I think that Olsen and Alonso are a little closer than you're making them out to be. I think they both could hit 40 home runs, and especially if Olsen lands in a good hitter's park, like you mentioned, I think that you know they could be a toss-up when it comes to fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I think that it could be it could be close. Um, you know, the biggest thing is I think that. You know, Alonzo's probably, I've got a, I've got Alonzo with a slight edge in both batting average and home run upside. Like at the end of the season, they might be close, but I think the, the ceiling for home runs on Alonzo is just a little bit better than Olsen. And I'm not saying it's like this huge, it's not like a huge, like tier change or anything, but I don't know what it would take to like, I don't think there's a move in stadiums puts Olsen above Alonzo for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, It can make it closer. It can make it like something that you might debate to some extent, but you know, I'd be probably always landing on the Alonzo side, but you know, it's first base is surprisingly deep this year. So, you know, the, the distinction between the two might not be quite as important because I'd be very happy with either one. When Olsen becomes a Yankee, we could debate this further. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see. (laughs) All right. So uh, free agency, obviously uh, a a big story. Uh, Qualifying offers uh, were given out this past week. But uh, I mean, when it comes to free agency, what the the shortstop class obviously gets the most attention these days, right? You got uh, Corey Seager, uh, who who, uh, Scott Boris uh, is the... uh, his his agent right there, Trevor Story. Trevor Story, I didn't realize he's going to be 29 in a few days. Carlos Correa, Javier Baez, who could also play second. Marcus Simeon could play short and second. Carlos Correa uh, was offered a qualifying offer from the Astros, but also was reportedly offered a five-year, $160 million contract. That's a $32 million per year, and that would make him the second-highest-paid shortstop in baseball uh, on a per year basis, uh, behind Francisco Lindor, who earns an average of thirty four point one million per year. And what's interesting too about Correa, uh, I don't think he's he's not. There's no way he takes this five year, hundred sixty million dollar contract. But your Tigers uh, have been rumored to possibly be interested in him. A, the AJ Hinch, who used to manage him with the Astros connection, you got Miggy. Uh, they only have two years left on that mega contract right then the uh, Correa could actually also play some third as well 
And let's face it, I'm not a big fan of Correa because I'm a Yankee fan, but guy can get it done in the clutch, knows how to uh, handle the playoffs. Yeah, and we finally saw a, you know, this is really two straight seasons where it's been a full season for Carlos Correa. Granted, one of them was 2020 shortened season, but Mm -hmm. it was great to see him play 148 games. That's the most he's played in a season since 2016. Uh, he's, he obviously has really struggled to stay on the field, but you know, when he plays, he hits, right? I mean, this is a guy with over 3000 major league plate appearances, a 277, 356, 481, triple slash, good plate discipline. Uh, it was actually at its pretty much at its best this last season with the 11.7% walk rate, 18.1% strikeout rate. Um, you know, this, this is a guy with obviously superstar potential. We've known that for quite some time. He's only 27 years old. I'd love to see the Tigers get him. I mean, it would be great. There's a big hole at shortstop for that team. Um, he's, he's young enough that even if the, uh, competitive years for the Tigers don't happen for another, you know, one to two seasons, he still will be right in his prime. So I think that'd be awesome, but there's going to be a lot of competition. I think a lot of teams really would love to sign Carlos Correa um, it'll be interesting to see how long of a contract he can get due to his health concerns. Right. Right. Yep. It, it depends on how much teams, you know, you hate to see a guy who, who was injured that often that young, you know, because bodies don't get that much stronger as you get closer to 30, right? Like they start to break down more. So I'm interested to see how long of a contract he can get. And I'm sure that he'll, someone will offer him a longer deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm certain of it. Someone's going to bite the bullet and, and try to try to win that game. Right, it's a gamble, but you could definitely pay off. This was a 5.8 WAR player, according to Fangraphs, this last season. So, I think that's huge. I think in in fantasy, he's obviously going to be extremely relevant. We were finally, you know, we're very excited to finally see him play those full seasons. I think that um, you know, right now, if you look at the steamer projections, which we talked about in our last episode, mm-hmm. it's got him at 13th overall at shortstop. Um, I wouldn't be shocked based on his landing spot and maybe some pot, you know, maybe a couple changes here and there. I could see him bump up to maybe like closer to 10. I don't know if he'll get all the way to 10 because shortstop's just so freaking deep, but I, I do think he can inch closer up there. And I mean, this is a guy who can hit for a good batting average. I think that he can hit, you know, definitely over 25 home runs. The only thing that keeps him from getting to 30 is probably playing time. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where he lands, especially if it's Detroit. Hmm. Yeah. Who do you think is the safest bet to get the biggest contract? I mean, because all these guys really have some issues, don't they? I mean, uh, you know, Seager, I mean, he's had his injury uh, issues as well, but not as much as Carlos Correa. Trevor Story, like I said, he's going to be 29 in a few days. And also, you know, there's that home away issue, uh, three Oh three batting average at home a six Oh three slug at home, you know, playing in Coors field, two forty one batting average and four forty two slug on the road. Javier Baez. I mean, do the strikeouts eventually catch up with him? And then there was also that, I, I know he had a nice end of the season with the Mets, but you know, that off the field stuff with the thumbs down, you, you kind of worry about him in, in, in a clubhouse. Uh, who do you think is the safest bet here? Weirdly the, enough, I do think it's I think it's Carlos Correa, hmm. right? And that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, he is a shortstop; that it's a premium position. Marcus Semien can play shortstop. He's not very good at it. He's a gold. He's obviously a Gold Glove second baseman, but he's not as good uh, at, at shortstop. I think 
And, you know, same for Cordy Seager. Cordy Seager is a guy who I think there's some long-term concerns about his ability to play shortstop. I think he might move to like second base somewhere else. Um, and, you know, honestly, it's, you know, Carlos Correa is the youngest. He's only 27 years old. He is probably project like, you know, as far as projections go, he's probably the best projectant, uh, the easiest to project for next season. As long as he stays healthy, it only takes one team to think he's going to stay healthy to get that big contract. Nice. I, I do. I think it's Carlos Correa. I think that he's the, I think he's the top of the class and that, you know, Simeon and I wouldn't be shocked if what happens is Carlos Correa gets that first contract. And then when you missed on Correa, you start chasing Marcus Simeon, who's 31 mm-hmm. or Corey Seager or, or something like that. Yeah. I, I would probably say Seager before Simeon, but you're, you're right. Uh, Correa probably be the first one to go. Uh, Justin Verlander. Uh, he received the qualifying offer from the Astros. Uh, as far as I could tell, he hasn't rejected it yet, but also held a public workout attended by 15 to 20 teams on Monday. Supposedly wants to play until he's 45, just like his idol, Nolan Ryan. Scott, I, I saw a rumor about a possible reunion with the Tigers. Again, the AJ Hinch connection. <laughs> Yeah. And the Detroit connection. Right. I mean, I, I think it'd be fun. It, it's a rumor that's been around for a little while. It'd be an awkward fit for Justin Verlander because he probably is looking for something a little more immediate. And the Tigers have a lot of young pitching that that's coming up. I, I'd be shocked if they made that kind of splash for a veteran pitcher. I do think they want a veteran pitcher. I know they've recently been linked to guys like Steven Matz, which is probably more in line with what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, because they do have a lot of infield, you know, they have position player holes to fill as well, and that can be really expensive. And so can starting pitcher. There's only so much you can invest, you know, Mike Illich isn't around anymore. Um, so they don't just spend whatever money they feel like. So it, it would be a lot of fun. And I think it's also a bit of a long shot. Hmm. All right. Qualifying offers. Uh, we've been mentioning a few, uh, obviously in the news, uh, and uh, what is a qualifying offer? It's uh, if, if a team wants to receive a compensatory draft pick for the loss of a free agent, they can make a one-year qualifying offer worth the mean salary of MLB's 125 highest paid players to their impending free agents prior to the onset of free agency. A player has 10 days to accept or decline the qualifying offer. And during that time, the player can negotiate with other teams to survey his market values. So most are rejected, right? Most players do reject the uh, the qualifying offer. This year, it's $18.4 million. So far, uh, some of the names that have rejected their qualifying offer, Marcus Simeon, Michael Conforto, Nicholas Castellanos, uh, Corey Seager. But were there any players, Scott, that did not receive qualifying offers that kind of surprised you? I mean, to me, the name that's that just stuck out was uh, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, I know he had the elbow injury, the fewest innings pitch in his career, but the thought of Kershaw possibly not being a Dodger is is shocking. And already there are rumors that, you know, maybe the Rangers uh, might be interested. Yeah, I mean, mean, that's probably the one that's the most surprising to me. Generally speaking, teams won't offer a qualifying offer if they think the player will take it. Right. Because generally the teams want to offer it to the players they know will reject it because then they get draft pick compensation when the player rejects it. And so, you know, you you don't offer it to I mean, a, a really good example would be like the Blue Jays. Steven Matz didn't 
send him a qualifying offer because he'd probably take it. That's probably better than what he's going to get on the open market. So uh, you don't you don't give him you don't give him the offer because you you probably don't want him. You certainly don't want him for that cost, right? Mm-hmm. So I really do think that one was surprising. I think some of the other ones that surprised me a bit, uh, Mark Canha surprised me a little bit because he had a, he did have a really strong season for the athletics. Um, and he was a nice leadoff hitter for them before they got Starling Marte, but you know, he, it's a little fringy there. That's a lot to pay. It's a lot to pay him for one season, but it is. But the other thing is, you know, there's not, there's not necessarily a bad one year contract. Hmm. Right. Uh, so, and he's a little older, so Kershaw is really the biggest surprise because I really think that he can get that money uh, for one year if he wants it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some injury issues there, but he's also like one of the best pitchers of our generation. So yeah. I think, you know, teams will go for it. It'd be weird if the Rangers do, if only because, gosh, they look a long way away. That mm-hmm. team was real, real bad. And I know teams can turn it around fast, but that's that's a tall order. They had no pitching and Ker- Kershaw would certainly help. But who are the other four guys are going to get? Right. Uh, it was, it was ugly. So um, that was the biggest surprise, but there were good players who didn't receive qualifying offers like obviously Garcia, Tommy mm-hmm. Pham, John Gray, um, Carlos Rodon, I think will surprise some people. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 And he had a very strong season. I think yeah. that, you know, there's, there's injury and durability concerns. We saw some velocity issues starting to creep in towards the end of the season. Big one year surprise. You know, so it's interesting they didn't give him the qualifying offer, but they were probably afraid he'd take it, right? Mm-hmm. With his injury history, I, I don't think he's going to get a ton of long-term offers. So, you know, it was a toss-up for the White Sox, and we'll we'll see how it goes. But yeah, Kershaw is really the big surprise, followed by Rodon, and then there's just you know good players that didn't receive it because they're probably not worth quite that much money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the John Gray not getting the qualifying offer. That was talked about a lot uh, in uh, Major League circles. And uh, saw an interesting stat regarding Carlos Rodon. After July 14th, he did not record an out in the sixth inning or later. So uh, like you mentioned, you know, towards the end of the season. I mean, his numbers were still good, uh, you know, when you compare first half to second half. Uh, but yeah, maybe there were concerns uh, about his durability. But uh, like you said, it's a one-year contract. Yeah, and I mean – that's something that the teams are going to look at. And I, I mean, he's going to be a hot commodity in the free agent market. So, you know, I'm not sure how much it, it impacts Carlos Rodon uh, simply because I do think a lot of teams are going to be after his services after that kind of year. And and everybody's after starting pitching, right? Sure. I mean, that's just, uh, you. I mean, we just watched Atlanta dominate the playoffs with starting pitching, right? I mean, that's the blueprint that continues to be the blueprint is starting pitching. That's how you win championships. So I, I think there are going to be some starters that move around like even guys like Michael Pineda are going to draw some interest because they can throw meaningful innings throughout the season, right? Like mm-hmm. if a guy can throw four ERA and put up 150 innings, he's a very valuable player, right? Especially in real life in fantasy, they're kind of like, ah, you know, that's not that exciting, but that's a very valuable real life player. And one that I think a lot of teams are going to be interested in. So, you know, they might not worry quite as much. And if they say, Hey, look, if we think Carlos Rodon can give us 140 to 150 innings of three and a half ERA ball, then let's pay him. You know, we'll cover the rest, right? right? We can get relievers. We can, you know, do some Tampa Bay weirdness, right? Like that, that'd be a fit, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you read my mind when you said, you know, three, four innings, you know, I don't know if they would pay him what, you know, he's looking for, but yeah, that's almost like a perfect fit. 
Yeah. I mean, and they've had injury prone pitchers in the past, uh, that, that they've worked through. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens and it's going to be really exciting to see some, where some of these guys land because there's real fantasy impacts too, right? Like yeah. Mark Canha is not that exciting, but he's a very interesting player, especially if he goes somewhere that where a team is willing to let him lead off. Cause he can run a bit. He's got power. He's got great on base skills. Yep, so, yep. and Avi Garcia just had a great season after losing all that weight in the off season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, nearly hit 30 home runs, ran hit for average. He's a very interesting player as well. So I think that it's going to be fun to see where these guys end up. Even uh, Anthony DiSclefani and Alex Wood. I mean, you know, the Giants had a bunch of kind of no names within their rotation. Uh, and obviously, we know what they did during the regular season. But, uh, hey, you know, I, I could just picture, uh, you know, watching the World Series next year with the Rays in it. And, you know, the announcer, if, if it's Joe Buck saying, you know, they got uh, Carlos Rodon at a, at a discount after he wasn't given a qualifying offer. So, you know, who knows what could happen. But uh, look, uh, we're going to take a look at a few players uh, who were previously looked upon as fantasy studs. But, Scott, instead they were fantasy duds left. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show season we'll talk about their chances for a bounce back 2022 season look at their uh, steamer projections right after this all right we're back and uh, we'll take a look at some fantasy players who used to be stud scott but uh, last season uh, not so much <laughs> um I have some names here. Cody Bellinger, uh, that steamer, is looking at 130 games played. This is what they're projecting. They're projecting that he'll play 130 games, hit 243 uh, with 26 home runs, 77 RBI, eight stolen bases. Uh, had a bad season last year, but made some adjust- adjustments at the end of the season, shifted his position in the box. He ended up choking up on the bat a little bit as well. Uh, that in, uh, allowed him to uh, increase his bat speed a bit. Batted three fifty three in the postseason. What's it looking like for you when it comes to Bellinger? Yeah, so what's interesting here is, I mean, he's just been so up and down uh, in his career, weirdly enough. We've seen, you know, we've seen the highs. We've certainly seen the lows, right? Last year, finishing with a one sixty five batting average. Um, the plate discipline started getting a little bit better. Uh, but again, we, I mean, for one, we saw him steal five bases in the playoffs, which which stunned the crap out of me. Uh, that they really had him run, and they didn't have him starting all the time, but they sure let him run. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think that projection is, you know, very much like a middle ground. He's going to be a very polarizing player in that there's a, obviously a high ceiling, 
Um, we've seen two seasons where he's been a top tier level player, both in 2017 and in 2019, which is not that long ago, uh, just to be clear, but he's, he's going to be tough. I mean, projection wise, they've got him as the 48th outfielder off the board around guys like Austin Hayes, Alex Verdugo, uh, right in front of Chris Bryant, Michael Conforto, and you know, my guy, Akil Badu. So that sounds like you like him. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I, I've talked about him once or twice. I don't know if you heard me, but, um, he's, I mean, he's a guy where you're, you're going to be, I mean, you're going to be chasing a little bit of upside here because it's not a super exciting, uh, projection and the sort of the, the mid range of where his outcomes lie is a fairly average fantasy outfielder. So it's hard to get too excited about it, but I think that there will be enough people who see those changes he made late in the season, who see the strong playoff performance when he did start. I mean, he did hit 353. Granted, it was only 39 plate appearances, but they were 39 ones that a lot of people probably watched where mm-hmm. he slugged 471, 436 on base. Um, obviously, in OBP leagues, he'll probably keep a bit of a bump just because he does take walks, even though, again, last year it was really miserable. Um, I think it's a player that you can take a gamble on if you if you drafted some strong outfield early, mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to be a guy where I'm willing to take him in as my fourth outfielder. If I started out with two outfielders in the first couple of rounds, which is pretty easy to do, right? There's a lot of top tier talent at that position. So sure. I think he's a guy where it's not someone where I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to wait and I'm going to draft him to be my second outfielder. I think that's a, that's, you know, leading up to a disaster, but I do think he's a guy where if you, create some safety in your outfield position early. He's a great target in the, you know, mid, you know, in the mid to later rounds. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a, a mock draft that Fantrax did and he went in the fifth round and right around, let's see who was other outfielders in that round. Eloy Jimenez, Nick Castellanos, Teoscar Hernandez. You think that's fair? Around those no. guys? No, no, I, th- I think that I think that price comes down as mm-hmm. the offseason goes on. You know, the thing about these early mocks is they're a lot of fun, but you don't always have a lot of uh, ADP or um, projections out. I'm not even sure if the steamer projections were out by the time they did that draft. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's something where, again, it only takes one person to be higher on him mm-hmm. and to, you know, if, you know, if, for example, the bad X comes out and just loves the guy, we could see his price move up to that kind of range, but I don't see it. I see him more in like the 40 ish range mm-hmm. that Mitch Hanniger range, Avi Garcia, wow. Lords Guriel, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, that kind of area, Jorge Soler, that that's what I see. I think that's more realistic if you're, you know, shooting for that upside. So, but, but not that, I mean that what, where he's taken is more in like the 30, like the 25 to 30 range. And I'm not, I'm not on board for that. Yeah. Uh, and he's also lost his first base eligibility, too. So that's a, another hit that he takes. Another guy that I put on our show notes, but to me, it's almost an automatic that he's a bounce back. But Mike Trout only played 36 games uh, up until that point was having a Mike Trout type of season, 333 batting average, eight home runs, 18 RBI, missed a you know, the rest of the season, most of the season, obviously, uh, it was a calf injury, I believe. Uh, any hesitation on your part when it comes to Trout? So actually, his he was cleared to play right towards the end of the season and decided to just keep it shut down because uh, it was late September when it got cleared. Um, 
And he Weirdly won a lot enough, of Eagle games because I know he's a big uh, Philadelphia Eagle ga- uh, fan. Yeah. So <laughs> what's really interesting about Mike Trout, uh, you know, in, in terms of like early mocks, what we've seen is he was taken 10th uh, in our early pitcher list mock. He was 20th in that fan tracks mock that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Steamer projects him as like the 10th best hitter, the fifth best outfielder. You know, he's got this huge, you know, in our minds, we think he's got this long track record of injury, right? Um, how surprised would you be if I told you that there's only been two seasons in his entire career where he played fewer than 80% of his team's games? That's only happened twice. No. He plays four out of five days um, pretty much every single season, right? It, 2017 and 2021 are the only two seasons where he didn't, where he wasn't able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he can definitely do that again. And if he plays 80% of his team's games, which is around like the 140 game mark, you're talking about a top, you know, a top 10 to 15 hitter, mm-hmm. right? Um, I do think the one thing that you have to remember is that the, the double digit stolen base days are probably over, right? Not because of the calf. I do think the calf is healthy. It's simply because he's just not that kind of player anymore. Um, and he's got Shohei Otani in that lineup now to steal his bases for him, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't need to do that. So uh, I, I think those days are over, but you know, if he plays 130 to 140 games, I think you've got a 35 home run, uh, 200 combined run and RBI player, right? And elite ratios. I mean, that's just what you've got. So I I think some are going to call it a gamble, but I'm not. I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely in. Uh, Mike Trout. I I do think he should probably go in the first round of drafts. I'm in on him too. Uh, The lack of stolen bases is a bit disappointing, but uh, I'm a little surprised. Steamer has him for a 271 batting average. Uh, you know, I see him, you know, 290, 300, 310. I mean, he is a lifetime 305 hitter and uh, they have him for 38 home runs. Yeah, I, I'm 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 right with him with that. But uh, um, yeah, first round pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, almost a guarantee that he's going to have a big season when he plays. He produces. Yeah, I think we're going to hear a lot of people, uh, you know, on on Twitter or just in general, talk about the steal of Mike Trout in the first half of the second round. I think that is going to happen, and I think you should be very excited if if you're one of those lucky people. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's move on. Francisco Lindor finished last season with a two thirty batting average, twenty home runs, sixty three RBI, and ten stolen bases. Uh, it was it was a bad no, no way of you know sugarcoating this. It was a bad first season in New York, and I know it's only one season, but I'm starting to think that maybe New York and Lindor not a good fit. Uh, you know, I've heard rumors on different radio programs here in, in New York that uh, that he really doesn't like playing in New York, and you know, you know the fact that he needed his friend Javier Baez on the team. You know, it's kind of you know kind of weird and has some issues with Jeff McNeil. <laughs> he was choking him in the, in the, in the clubhouse, right? That had some issues. Um, Steamer has him bouncing back a little bit, but a 252 batting average. He's a 278 career hitter. They have him for 30 home runs, 96 runs scored, 84 RBI and 13 stolen bases in 150 games. Yeah, Steamer ranks him as the seventh best shortstop behind Marcus Semien and Wander Franco, right ahead of Xander Bogarts and Trevor Story. He went 36th in our pitcher list mock, our early mock, uh, which was the sixth shortstop off the board. And the Fantrax one, which happens a little bit later, he was 81st 
uh, in, in that draft, which is a pretty wide split, almost 50 picks later, he, that, he was the eighth shortstop off the board for then. We did see some power starting to show late in the season and, and a way to look at that. You know, don't just look at the first and second half splits. Go to Baseball Savant or to Fangraphs. Look at the rolling charts. You'll hear me talk about it all offseason. Look at the rolling charts. You see this steady climb upwards in the power, which, which is nice. Um, but, you know, honestly, if if this is where he starts being drafted, obviously I'm fine with him going 81st. But if if he's consistently being ranked above uh, Xander Bogarts or Trevor Story, I'm going to be out because I'd much rather have Xander Bogarts or Trevor Story. Mm-hmm. I think Xander just has a safer floor. I think Story steals more bases. And mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, I, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, the thing with uh, Jeff McNeil, you know, apparently Lindor doesn't like squirrels. I don't know. But he, he was not. He was not a fan of that, but like what, what it's just, it's just Mets being Mets, man. Like yeah. they can't even hire a GM, right? right? Because wh- I mean, first of all, why would you want that job? Right? Like with this owner that openly like criticizes you on Twitter mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Right? Like, I mean, I hope I never work somewhere where my, my boss openly criticizes me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think that it, it is a tough place to play because it's the freaking Mets right? Like, sorry to you Mets fans, but it's the freaking Mets. It, it's a hard, it's a hard place to, I think, enjoy yourself. I don't know how much that'll affect his final numbers, but I think Steamer's just a lot rosier than I am. I probably have him more like the shortstop, you know, shortstop eight through shortstop 10, which is fine. I think there's a good player there, but if he's draft, if he's being drafted between the sixth and the eighth spot, eh, probably passing shortstops deep. I don't need to take that kind of risk. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not into uh, Lindor this season. And uh, like you mentioned, the Mets will be the Mets. I mean, then there was a story uh, about a week or two ago about Jacob deGrom complaining about the way that he was positioned in in, in taking an MRI. And just you hear these crazy stories when it comes uh, to – you know, players surrounding the Mets and even remember Steve Matz years ago uh, forego going to like Mets medical staff and found his own doctor because he didn't kind of trust what the results that they would get. It's just crazy. So um, thank God I'm a Yankee fan. No. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the two teams that I have absolutely no faith in to develop players or do the right thing are the Mets and the Colorado Rockies. I mean, you'll keep hearing me talk about those two teams. I don't know what they're doing right now. I know that things have changed in Colorado and we'll see what happens, but yeah, right. As of right now, the Rockies and the Mets, uh, 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 right. I just can't see why players want to go to those places. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Rendon, next player that we'll talk about, only played 58 games last season, had gotten off to a slow start. Uh, The games that he did play in, I I think he was battling injuries when he was actually active and not on the IL. Uh, 240 batting average, six home runs, 34 RBI in 58 games. Steamer thinks that uh, he's going to bounce back to a 271 batting average, 21 home runs, 80 RBI, and he'll play 133 games. This guy is a 287 lifetime hitter. Yeah, and so Steamer actually projects him as the 13th third baseman right behind DJ LeMahieu and Juan Moncada, right ahead of Chris Bryant and Kyle Seager. In the pitcher list early mock, he went 61st overall. That was the fifth third baseman off the board. 
For Fantrax, he went 112th, and he was the seventh third baseman off the board. Something I should note about these two drafts, I should have said it earlier, Pitcher List used the Yahoo-style rosters, which is just first, second, third, short, three outfield, two utility. Fantrax did the uh, more common ESPN or NFBC style, where they did uh, first, second, third, short, middle infield, corner infield, five outfield. So that's why you'll see sometimes these position players get pushed down a bit because uh, more of them get drafted, um, things like that. But but anyway, um, look, third base, we talked about it in the last episode. Third base is a nightmare heading into 2022. It's just extremely shallow, especially compared to where it's been in the past. And you know, on one hand, I do think Rendon will move up boards as we continue to get good reports on his health. He was he was perennially like this underrated third baseman. He finally gets like the credit he deserves in drafts and he gets hurt. Right. Like, ain't you know, ain't that just the way it goes? But um, I'm probably avoiding Rendon in drafts if he stays in like this third base, like the fifth to seventh third baseman off the board, because I'm either going to go early third base, try to get that elite guy. You know, if I'm picking late in the first round, I'm looking at like a Jose Ramirez, like real top of the class kind of thing, or I'm just going to wait and I'll keep, I'll keep waiting. I'll wait even longer than, you know, the fifth or the seventh third baseman off the board and just wait for like a uh, Brian Hayes or a Matt Chapman later and take a gamble there. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's a lot of times how I approach these more shallow positions. Uh, it's probably how a lot of folks have approached catcher in the past. Cause it's just a decent strategy. Go elite or just wait, you know? Um, I think, you know, there are some guys that got added to the third base pool that are kind of interesting, like Alberto Mondesi, who, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about plenty in the offseason. Um, obviously, Austin Riley made a huge splash. He's a guy that's going to go early. But to me, there's this really hard tier. You know, uh, early if you look at just the, the steamer ranks, right, it's Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, Manny Machado, Austin Riley, Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman, and then... Right. Then you've got Mondesi, who is as polarizing a player as there's ever been. And then already you're at like Josh Donaldson. Right. (laughs) Spencer Torkelson, who I love. Right. Mm -hmm. But like he has not played a single, you know, he has zero major league at bats. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you're, then you're looking at Justin Turner, then DJ LeMahieu coming off the bad season. You want Mancata coming off a rough season. Anthony Rendon, who is hurt. Then Chris, like it gets ugly so, so, so fast. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I, he, if he's going in that range, like just after like Arenado and Bregman, then I'm probably out because I'm probably avoiding that whole tier. Right. I, you're going to see, there's probably going to be this chunk in your draft where there's like five rounds where no third baseman go. Right. Like that's probably going to happen because there's such a hard tier break and I'm right. probably going to be chasing one of those first six names. And if I don't get one, I'm just waiting, mm-hmm. waiting forever. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see how it pans out, but at this point, I'm probably not that interested in Rendon because of where he sort of falls in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, great analysis. And, and you did mention Alex Bregman. I should mention that he underwent surgery on his right wrist this past Monday. Again, we're recording on November 10th, Wednesday evening. Uh, supposedly, he's going to be ready for spring training uh, but it's just something to keep in your back pocket about Alex Brightman. Uh Next player we'll talk about, and we kind of mentioned him, I think, in our last episode, Christian Yelich. Uh, he's had a tough past couple of seasons. 
I think that the uh, issue is his back. And, and we've talked about how back injuries can really be debilitating, sap your power. Uh, there was an issue, uh, I think it was a 2020 season, where all of a sudden he started striking out like crazy. Strikeouts went down in the 21 season, but uh, still in 117 games, only hit nine home runs, stole nine bases, and batted 248. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk about how he sort of plateaued in his recovery uh, during the season because it was he was on the IL and he it kind of felt like he was going to be coming back soon and they kept waiting for him to take another step in his recovery and it just never happened and obviously the results worked out poorly. You know, Steamer ranks him as the 29th outfielder overall, uh, right behind Brandon Lowe and Eloy Jimenez, right ahead of Brian Reynolds, Jesse Winker, and Joey Gallo. He went 73rd overall on the pitcher list early mock, 93rd in the fan tracks mock. And here's the thing, that back injury, the what it's done recently is just sapped that power. It was just gone last season. Without that power, that's a really, really risky pick for a top 100. You know, in the first 100 picks, that's a really risky player, right? A guy who might not even hit for power who doesn't have, you know, who's probably not stealing 40 bases with the backs he's got, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the the hot, obviously the upside is tremendous. You know, we've seen it before where he can be a number one overall player caliber kind of guy, but we keep getting further and further away from when that happens. And he looks less and like less and less like that player every day. I think that he might be easier to stomach in those Yahoo style formats where there's only three outfield and two utility uh, as like your last utility or your third outfielder, simply because the replacement level is so high. So if it doesn't work out for Christian Yelich, you can move on and find something valuable to to plug in that spot. But man, in a five outfield league or like an NFBC style 15 team league, I mean like, yeah, you can chase the upside, but man, if it doesn't pan out, the replacement level is so low. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a really hard thing to pick up when you used a top 100 pick on that. Um, it, it's all going to be about your risk aversion, but you know, that, that projection, yeah, it puts him as a top 30 outfield, but like, I actually don't think the projection's very realistic because it's either going to be a lot better than that or a lot worse. He's either going to be a lot better than 25 home runs and 12 steals, or he's going to be considerably worse. So projections are weird like that. They give you this sort of like most likely outcome, but it's sort of, it's averaging all of the outcomes. Right. And Mm -hmm. to me, I think that he's just going to be a high risk, high, like a high risk, a high volatility player. So I'm probably out, but I get it if you chase it. Yeah, I get what you're chasing. And I think that you can do, you can make strategies in your roster construction that have safety at the top where you can chase this kind of thing, but you got to know what you're getting into. You don't want to, you don't want to just take Christian Yelich on a, on a whim and not know what you're going to be doing to try to mitigate some of that risk. Great point. And uh, as uh, we were speaking, breaking news, Scott. Breaking news. The Yankees have already started to rebuild that uh, 2022 World Series caliber roster. They uh, signed reliever Joe Ali Rodriguez to a one-year major league deal. And uh, he pitched 21 games for them last year, 2.84 ERA. Scott, we're on our way. There it is. I mean, that's the news we've all been waiting for. Yeah, Joe. yeah, yeah. We were all sitting in our seats. I mean, people are probably just going to turn the podcast off now. They got everything they need to know. <laughs> you don't need to know anything else. 
<laughs> you just need to know that, and and it's and you win. You you win fantasy baseball. So last player we'll talk about is a Yankee. Uh, T.J. LeMahieu had a compared to what he did in the uh, 2020 season, really fell off. Uh, batted 364 in 2020, only hit 268 with 10 home runs and 57 RBI uh, in 150 games. In the 2020 season, he had 10 home runs in 50 games. Um, didn't go to the opposite field as much last season. Uh, hard hit rate has gone down for three straight seasons now. Interestingly enough, he uh, batted 22 points lower at home as opposed to on the road. Uh, Steamer kind of thinks he's going to rebound almost to like his Colorado Rockies days. Uh, 284 batting average, 16 home runs. 90 runs scored, 64 RBI projected. Yeah, and so the first thing that's interesting, and it sort of goes back to the point about third base being shallow, uh, DJ LeMay, who's going to qualify at first, second, and third in most leagues, here's where Steamer ranks him in those three positions uh, with that projection. They rank him as the 22nd first baseman. They rank him as the 15th second baseman. They rank him as the 11th third baseman. Wow. Right. So good enough to be the 11th third baseman, but the 22nd first baseman, yeah, yeah. right? Like that's the kind of depth we're talking about in terms of like first base being deep, third base being shallow. Cause mm-hmm. it's the same line, right? Mm-hmm. But one is fantasy relevant. The other is not right. He's not relevant really as a first baseman. He's extremely relevant as a third baseman. That, right. That's just wild to me. He went 138th in the pitcher list early mock. He went 143rd in the fan tracks mock. That seems about right to me. A couple things to, to remember. Number one, a lot of people did think he was long overdue for home run fly ball regression, right? Mm-hmm. So he had 19.3% home run to fly ball in 2019, 27% in 2020. That's like double his career average, which is closer to like 10%. However, that's not all the news. Like you don't want to just stop there and say, Oh yeah, he had been lucky and fly, home run fly ball. And now it's back. That's not really the whole story because you have to remember he played with a sports hernia last year mm-hmm. and that's a real good way to lose power, right? Sports hernias are very painful. They affect your core. They affect your ability to hit for power. They affect your ability to hit for average. They affect your ability to do everything right. They're extremely unpleasant. So, um, I think that this projection is actually pretty good. That's 16 home runs. I do think there's still like 20 to 25 home run upside here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see him getting like, you know, keeping that power pace he had in 2020. I don't think that was ever going to happen, but 20, 25 home runs is certainly possible. I think 15 is a pretty safe bet. Um, I think the projection's a little light on the batting average. So it's got him at 284. And I really do think he can continue to hit 300. I don't see why not. Um, he, he's a, very, very good hitter. He's gotten an elite hit tool. So I certainly think he can do that. And he's a really good target in the middle rounds. If you like that kind of flexibility, again, he's not going to be very useful to you as a first baseman. You almost certainly will have a better one on your roster, but sometimes what happens in the middle rounds of drafts is you realize you've got certain positions that you've neglected for too long. And so if you're sitting there, uh, you know, in that 10th round ish, a 10th, 11th round in a 12 team draft, you're sitting there like, man, I haven't drafted a second or a third baseman. That's the kind of position where I might push DJ LeMay up just a little bit, because if you take him to be your, you can take him to be your second or third baseman. And that gives you some flexibility to be like, you don't, you're not stuck. Like I got to get a third baseman now, or I got to get a second baseman. Now you can be like, I just need a second or third baseman later on the draft. You're giving yourself almost double the player pool to find a, a good late target, right? Because what you want is to have as many players that 
you can still draft from. Because what happens in the later round of drafts is you sort of, you know, there's going to be certain positions where you no longer can draft and you're going to be staring at these values on the board being like, I can't take them because I need that roster spot for a different position. But um, I wish I could because there's a great value just sitting there and someone else gets to take it. You can open up yourself. Like you're going to have more potential to take that if, you know, you're able to use a multi-position player in sort of like the middle rounds and be like, well, I, I can wait to see if there's a better, you know, I can wait to see what the best value is at third or second later on in the draft. So it's something that gives you some flexibility as you go through the draft. It's not something that you really prepare for going in necessarily. It's something to keep in mind as you get to that point in the draft and go, whoa, I have not grabbed a lot of infielders and I need some, right? So why don't I take this one? He can cover any of these three positions and I'm no longer quite as stressed about filling those spots later on in the draft. I'm not pigeonholed into taking, I have to take an infielder in the next two rounds or something like that. So Mm -hmm. uh, just something to think about as you, you know, start, you know, mock draft season's already upon us. Obviously, pitcher list and fan tracks have been doing theirs. More and more are going to open up. Uh, Real drafts are happening. Best ball drafts are happening. You know, it's a lot of fun. You should get into it. And this is something that you can start thinking about. And as you're doing these mock drafts, give it a try. See what happens when you take a multi-positional player in those middle rounds and see how it opens up that flexibility. For some people, they're not going to find it very helpful. I think others will find that it's a very, very useful strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Just depending on the way you like to set up your teams uh, and the certain players that you continually target late in drafts. So I think it's something you should really think about. I think it's something that can really help. Um, And I do think that he's going to be a valuable player in, you know, I think DJ LeMahieu will be a valuable player, especially as he takes care of that sports hernia and can show a little bit more of the power that we know he has in there. Uh, that's perfect and tailor made for Yankee stadium. Mm. Great analysis as always, Scott, and, uh, can't stress enough how important it is to get involved in these mock drafts, even these best ball drafts. It just helps you tremendously when you're drafting, your teams in March just to be so familiar with the player pool. And, you know, if, if things go sideways, you could react quickly, you know, so the, the mock draft is a underutilized tool, really, uh, really important. Yeah. And it's not just about like, I want to see where players go. It's all about practicing roster construction. Yeah, it's all about practicing. You know, you, yeah. Like, People will talk about pocket aces, right? Don't let your real draft be the first time you've tried to do that, right? Because it's actually pretty hard if you've never done it before because it changes the way you have to look at your hitting positions because you're not going to have one of those elite top 20 hitters. They'll be gone, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you really have to be prepared to these di- for these different kinds of strategies. If you're the type of person that thinks like, man, uh, it'd be really cool if I grab an elite catcher this season. I'm sick of playing the streaming catcher game. I want an elite catcher. Um, get used to how, what that feels like. Taking a catcher in the first, you know, 50 to 75 picks when you're usually doing that at pick 200, right? It doesn't seem like it changes much, but it actually does, mm-hmm. right? Or if you're the type that says, I want to get a couple rabbits. I want to get a couple guys that get all my stolen bases. That's hard to do because you have to be willing to take risks and reach for those Aldoberto Mondesis earlier in the draft and then figure out how you're going to build the rest of your roster later on. Or you might say, I want to, um, you know, Nick Pollock likes to practice these things where he doesn't take a pitcher till the 10th round to see what that feels like, right? Because he really trusts his ability to, to build a rotation and it's something he can certainly do, but he can only do it if he continually mocks. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you can't just say, well, these guys will all have ADP after the 10th round. So that'll work out because it only takes one person to screw that up. 
what's he's one other person to sort of snipe a couple of your guys. And all of a sudden you're like, crap, I can't build the roster. I thought I could build. Right. And now you're going to be scrambling. Right. Um, you know, you don't win a league just from the draft, but you can lose one in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Right. So really make sure that you've practiced some of these strategies, even try something that you're probably not thinking about. Right. Like you never want to plan to punt stolen bases or saves. Right. But you want to know what it's like to do that. So do that in a mock draft, know what it's like to sort of consciously do it. So that in the event that you don't get the values you were hoping for at like closer or at stolen base or something or with stolen bases or something like that, you can see how you've assembled a raw, like you've, you've had practice assembling a roster that doesn't use that. Right. I mean, I know people don't care about leagues, but we actually won the, the pitcher list podcast network league mm-hmm. punting saves because we were able to, I've mocked it plenty of times. I was able to grab this just big cluster of late closers. Right. And I felt comfortable that if I get four of these guys, two of them will pan out and they did. Right. We had Jake McGee. We had, I mean, we had all kinds of players that we took very Close late Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. were able to take these guys very late because I was comfortable with that strategy. But if mm-hmm. I hadn't been comfortable with that strategy, I probably would have stuck myself and really screwed us by reaching for a closer. So I didn't end up in that position because I wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. But again, that wasn't a problem because I was ready for it. I was ready to say, if these closers don't fall to us the way I want, I know how to, like, I know how to adjust for that. Mm-hmm. I know how I want to attack that again. I didn't want it to come to that, but I was ready just in case it did. And it did. And it worked out fine. Um, it also had to do with the format. Like I knew it was a 16 team league that was head to head. So closers are a little, like you can kind of stream that position and you don't need uh, to get the most saves. You just need to be competitive in saves each week, those kinds of things. So like that kind of played a role, but I was able to practice and know what I would do if I never took a closer until the last rounds, mm-hmm. right? You, everyone's got to be able to do that because you don't get to plan like you can't just plan to get Josh Hader or Liam Hendricks. You can't just do that because someone might jump you. You don't have control. I mean, in auctions, you can always keep paying, but in snake drafts, you can't plan it. So you got to be ready to know what happens if I don't get my targets. What, what, what's my, what's my plan B? What's my plan C? What's my plan Q, right? You got to have them. You get them from mock drafts. Yeah. Great stuff, Scott. And I uh, want to thank you out there for allowing us to visit with you. We hope that you were informed and entertained because that's our goal. You could follow me at Joe Galena. Follow Scott at If The Chew Fits. Follow our podcast at, at Hacks and Jacks PL. If there's anything specific you would like us to cover, let us know. Uh, follow at Pitcherless Pods. You'll be informed anytime a new episode drops for any of the great podcasts on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Subscribe to our podcast. On Apple Podcasts, leave us a stellar review. And if you subscribe, you get an automatic notification anytime we put out any new content. As always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Uh, our next podcast, Scott, uh, should drop on November 25th. That's Thanksgiving. They've got you working Thanksgiving, Scott. Well, I mean, we're the gift that keeps on giving. Right. If yeah. there's anything I'm thankful for, it's talking into this little microphone to you about fantasy baseball because my wife doesn't care and is tired of hearing about it. <laughs> there you go. All right. We'll see you all next time. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.